Hi, listeners. Consider joining Kate and I for a full live and in-person week of rewilding in the wilds of Costa Rica on yoga and meditation retreat, May 11th to the 18th, this coming 2024. Space is limited. But for more information on this event and how to register, go to www.oneyogaglobal.com. That's O-N-E, yogaglobal.com. This episode is being sponsored by Revival, a women-owned and operated clothing store located in downtown Iowa City, offers a curated selection of modern, resale, and vintage clothing and gifts. Revival focuses on brands that empower women and promote ethical and sustainable practices. Making sure your wardrobe and your style look great while doing our planet and community good. Celebrating 20 years this fall, find them on the Ped Mall in downtown Iowa City or shop 24-7 online at RevivalIowaCity.com. Use promo code TENDHER23 for 15% off your purchase. Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Listeners, this is Betsy. I'm so excited for you to hear this inspiring conversation that we had with Marianne Williamson, presidential candidate for 2024. In the week or so following when Kate and I did this interview, I was lucky enough to have some personal communication with Marianne. Uh, She said how much she loves Iowa. Uh, She told me that she actually lived here in 2020 when campaigning in the last election. So she feels very connected to the people in Iowa. And she wants to have a conversation with Iowans. So it's actually happening. It's scheduled for Saturday, December 30 at 11 a.m. And that's Central Standard Time. Marion is going to do a Zoom call for anyone who wants to jump on. She said, ask me anything, policy, politics, spirituality, my books, anything, all questions are welcome. I know that I'm going to be there tuning in Saturday, December 30 at 11 a.m. And if you're interested in being inspired, because this woman is bright, smart, inspiring, and has such a capacity to see things from this beautiful uh, big picture space. So check it out. Zoom link is below in our show notes. Hi, listeners. Consider joining Kate and I for a full live and in-person week of rewilding in the wilds of Costa Rica on yoga and meditation retreat, May 11 to the 18th, this coming 2024. Space is limited. But for more information on this event and how to register, go to www.oneyogaglobal.com. That's O-N-E, yogaglobal.com. This episode is being sponsored by Revival, a women-owned and operated clothing store located in downtown Iowa City, 
offers a curated selection of modern, resale, and vintage clothing and gifts. Revival focuses on brands that empower women and promote ethical and sustainable practices. Making sure your wardrobe and your style look great while doing our planet and community good. Celebrating 20 years this fall, find them on the Ped Mall in downtown Iowa City or shop 24-7 online at RevivalIowaCity.com. Use promo code TENDHER23 for 15% off your purchase. Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Hello, Tender Wild podcast listeners. In today's episode, we are thrilled to have Marianne Williamson with us today. Marianne is a candidate running for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States in 2024. She's a successful entrepreneur, a best-selling author, political activist, and globally influential spiritual thought leader. She's the author of 15 books, four of which have been number one New York Times bestsellers. The pillars of her campaign are the restoration of America's middle class through an economic bill of rights, including universal health care, tuition-free college and tech school, and a guaranteed living wage. The establishment of the Department of Peace and Department of Children and Youth, the declaration of a climate emergency to mass mobilize for the development of green energy, and ending America's drug war. Williamson believes the transformation of American society requires that we address the root causes of our problems, not only their symptoms. If elected, Williamson will be the first female, the first mother, and the first grandmother to be president of the United States. That gives me chills. I have chills right now. I know. It's time. It is time. So we've been reading your books, obviously, for years, following your wise insights, and we're thrilled to have you back for the second time on our podcast. Uh, we were with you about a year and a half ago just to talk about the healing of our country and how women really need to be a major part of that. So thank of you course. for leading the cause. Yes. Really. Thank you. Well, we want to ask our, our leading question here. We actually just had an in-person event with 170 women. We put on what we called a resilience summit. And it was phenomenal to get women together in the same room sort of talking about real things. And we really want to hear from you about the resilience of our country, right? Like how do we tap into this strong inner core to help pull us through what feels like a big roller coaster right now? If you are grounded in an inner core, you are inherently resilient because the inner core is the truth of who we are and truth self-corrects. So it both self-organizes and self-corrects. It's like a GPS. If you take the wrong turn, it will automatically reroute. So as long as you're grounded in principle, then you'll be okay. You swerve, you go here and there, but you'll always come back. And that's what resilience is. I, I get back on track. 
Right now, our country is not resilient because at the moment we're not functioning on our own principles. So right now we're not resilient. And that's why it's so important that we do get back. What are the principles on which we purport to stand? Now, the principles on which we purport to stand are embedded in our country's mission statement, which is the Declaration of Independence. And those principles are the following, that all men are created equal, that God gave all men inalienable rights of life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness, both of which are radical, by the way. The idea that governments are instituted to secure those rights and that if government is not doing its job, it's the right of the people to alter it or abolish it. You know, in the Jewish religion, it says that every generation must rediscover God for itself. Mm. And every generation of Americans has to take that those principles in for ourselves. What do they mean for me? What do they mean for my time? For Give an example. If all men are created equal, you can't say transgender people should have fewer rights. Right. If all men are created equal, all men in alienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you can't tell gay people they can't get married. You can't tell women what they can do with their bodies. You can't let carcinogens be all over our food. You know, these things really like, well, if these things are true, what does that say about race? What does that say about gender? What does that have to do with sex and sexuality? I mean, those things are like, if those things are true, then it follows that. But because we have not in our generation, and for several generations now, deeply allowed ourselves to reflect on what is true, truly true, we're just all over the place. And we're being guided not by principles, but by opinions. Yes. Everybody, everybody's got an opinion. You're, you know, whether or not God created all men equal, theoretically, isn't about your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. Those are the things on which we've agreed to agree as a nation. Therefore, our laws should follow those principles. And that's what makes us resilient. Because we always, let's go back to principle, let's go back to principle. If you don't have principles that you go back to, then you're all over the place. There's nothing to bring you home. There's nothing to be that magnet that calls you back to yourself. And that's what resilience is. Yeah. I can fall, I can get it wrong, I can whatever, but I'll come home to the truth of who I am. That's what resilience is in my book. Yeah. And we've really lost our grounding, like you said. Mm-hmm. We are not grounded. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's interesting because it's not that it's not there. It's not that it's not there, but we, you know, we inscribe it on marble on walls or we have it on parchment, it's in, underneath glass, but we're not teaching it to our children because everything is surface level. You know, those principles, principles are not in the material world. <clears throat> they're in our minds, they're in our hearts. And by the end of the 20th century, we had so peripheralized the issues of mind and heart. This, the, the country is, is organized around material, external things, particularly grasping for material, external things. It's a level of insanity. You know, Gandhi said the problem with the world is that humanity is not in its right mind. Feels very true right now. Yeah. 
Well, you speak so much. Um, I've heard you in many interviews talk. You have such a clearly an understanding of history because you quote a lot of our early leaders and the the wisdom as we're talking about this idea of resilience and this strong inner core. And, you know, the purpose of this podcast is rewilding, which is going back to our natural essence. And it makes me think about our country, what the natural essence of our country has been and how far off track we get. And, you know, what, what will you, what can you tell us about that? Like, because we're also modern now, right? We've also changed. We keep growing as a country. We keep expanding as a country. How do we pull some of those, you know, early ideals that started this great nation and modernize them and bring them back in some ways? I think it is part of a maturity, personal maturity, as well as societal maturity to recognize that some things never change. This idea that, oh, we're so modern, we've got it all together. Really? <laughs> really? Really? <clears throat> really? You're, you're modern and you have it less together in some ways. Yeah. Than hundreds of years ago did. So there's something here about reclaiming those things which are eternally true. Now, in terms of our country, I think it's very helpful you know, just like you're, you're a human being and you go to therapy and somewhere around your 20s, you start really figuring out the issues of your own individuation, <clears throat> how to become the person that you want to be separate from your parents. OK, so you go to therapy and part of it is finding out the history of your family, the history of your race, the history of your religion, the history of your people. And the more you understand where you came from the more you begin to understand who you are in the scheme of things, what you owe to your ancestors, what you owe to your descendants. So what's the story out of which we arise? Yeah. So let's go back to the American story. The American story began as a nation in 1776. And in 1776, the Declaration of Independence was written and signed. Now, it was signed by 56 very brave men. <clears throat> and I say that they were very brave because if the British had won the war, they would have all been executed. Traitors, mm -hmm. the King of England. Okay. And with their signing that document, they were infusing into the establishment of a nation the principles that I mentioned before, those radical principles of equality, radical principles, everyone's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the radical principle that government's job is to secure those things, and the radical principle that if the government's not doing its job, it's the right of the people to alter it or abolish it. A great burst of light, a great burst of enlightenment, a great burst of social, spiritual, and political possibility on the earth. Okay, that's number one. Mm. And number two, 41 out of the 56 signers were slave owners. Yeah. So what's our story? Is that we have been from the very beginning a struggle, a dichotomy between two opposing forces. Mm. One dedication to the point of willingness to sacrifice everything to the possibility that there would be on earth a place where anyone theoretically could have a shot at it. Right. Radical. Yeah. The yin yang, I mean, the dark light. Well, well, what you and I are talking about today, there are countries where you think we could do this under the Taliban? No. Nope. 
Okay, so even today, this is extraordinary. Okay, but there have also been those in every generation from the very beginning. And this includes today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who for their own ideological and or financial purposes have no intention whatsoever of seeing those principles actualized and have proven from the beginning that they would do whatever it took to make sure that they were not. Right. Mm-hmm. That's our story. Mm. That has that bipolarity, that dichotomy has been with us from the beginning. We are both and. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> every generation lives it out. Everything that we're going through, just the latest iteration, nothing that new. Now, some generations have faced the challenge in more dramatic times than others. But what's interesting and beautiful is that over time, we have chosen correctly. We responded to slavery with abolition. We responded to the institutionalized oppression of women with the women's suffrage movement and the passage of the 19th Amendment. We responded to the Gilded Age with the establishment of organized labor. We responded to segregation and the institutionalized oppression of black people in the American South with the civil rights movement. So the issue now is to realize it's simply our turn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And today, the force that is undemocratic that seeks to resist the full actualization of infinite potential among everyone to whatever extent possible is not a specific institution, but an economic paradigm. Mm. It's the idea that short-term corporate profits should take precedence over the safety, health, and well-being of the American people. Insurance company profits more important than universal health care. <clears throat> Pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. profits more important health, than health, whether health. people can... <laughs> have their insulin or stay alive. Uh, Yeah. Right. Right. Food, a big food company profits over whether or not there are carcinogens in our food. Oil company profits over whether or not we're even ramping down fossil fuel extraction. Gun manufacturer profits over the safety of our children and on and on and on. And those uh, multinational corporate entities form a matrix of basically economic tyranny yeah and uh that's what we are dealing with now so i think that when you know oh this is what's really going on this is not just about me yes it's not just about my opinion it's about what a nation stands for and what we are committed to then you have you have strength you have power and resilience is just inherent in all of that i've never heard it articulated that clearly like the big picture of the basically archetypal energy of our country. That's exactly <laughs> in right. the beginning, that is, the archetype. Right? That is correct. And how mm-hmm. it's played out in different ways, but it's the same underlying story. Mm-hmm. And now here Absolutely. we are again. So uh, thank you because it is shifting me. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does make you think this is this is our moment. Yeah. And how are we going to, and I, and I want to ask you because I think women have a special role. We, we talk a lot about women being the shock absorbers of our society. And so, so many of the issues you just touched on, women tend to um, take on or be, you know, at the forefront of. And so what would you say to women out there about how, you know, given all the pain in our world, you know, we're in a period of war, we're understanding, 
you know, it was very, you know, difficult time for, for our global community. And then, you know, on the national level, even in the last 24 hours, what happened in Texas with the abortion case there, it feels the onslaught just keeps coming. We've talked to so many women who just feel this overwhelm, but I hear you saying we have what it takes inside each one of us. So what would you say to women, uh, especially because those are our listeners, like how can we respond and take action in a way and, and be present for this moment that is so important to our, to our country and to our future. We've got to stop indulging ourselves. Mm. We've got to stop with this, even the way you just languaged it. Poor us. Poor us. We have power that the vast majority of women in this world do not have. And if we really want to talk about being wild, raise hell. Support, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Say no. Resist. Get part, be part of, of movements. Be part of uh, political movements. Support women candidates. Yes. Use our voices. Uh, I mean, there's a way in which you say we absorb it. Don't absorb it. It's toxic. That's the problem that we're absorbing it. Okay. Ah. Don't, don't absorb it. Say, no, don't put that on me and don't put that on my children. So there's a fierceness that's being required of yeah. us. Like yeah. Like when you talk about wild, there's no wild, but you know, the goddess is fierce. Totally. Goddess, and powerful. Goddess, yeah. Yeah. She's none of this like, oh, poor, uh, you know, there's, we, we have a tendency to talk about ourselves in this, this new kind of like, oh, poor us. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Or like, we, we have to remind ourselves we're powerful. Give me a break. When we are in our own relationships, if if any child, if anybody comes next towards your children, don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to tell, remind a woman yeah. to be powerful when someone is coming after her child. That same fierceness needs to be in us about they're coming after our children. If they're putting carcinogens in our food, if they're 46% of the water wells in the United States are filled with PFAS, yeah. these forever chemicals. If they're toxin in the air that are that are, are giving our children asthma, if if our children don't have health care, if our children are rationing their and we're rationing their insulin, if our loved ones are dying without health care, you know, it's so interesting because when it comes to our personal lives, I won't stand for an abusive relationship. What could be a more abusive relationship? Yeah than with a government, than with a government that allows big food companies to put carcinogens in your food. Yep. Right. Say, I, I'm just not going to stand for, uh, for an abusive relationship. Really, girls? Really? So when you say how you do it, you get involved in politics, and then you get into the real dark, dirty little secret, which is we don't want to because we want people to like us. Mm. Right? We want people to like us. We want approval. And also, if we have careers... And even if it's, and I, you know, if, if there's a woman that I support, but their way of bringing her down is to make fun of her, to make her therefore radioactive. If I support her, I'll be radioactive. So I'm going to betray the sisterhood. Yep. This is not a moment for us to be self-congratulatory. And it's not a moment for us to talk about ourselves like victims. It's time for us to look at our own stuff that could possibly possibly be making us sit out this moment and we've got to stop coddling it in ourselves and we've got to stop coddling it in each other yeah the collective right now seems really important uh mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. part of 
the work we're, you know, trying to do and having these conversations is, you know, the individual power becomes the collective power if we tap into it. Well, it's like we tap into it naturally if somebody's coming after our child. Mm -hmm. It's just that the love that will save the world is not just the love for our children. It's love for every child. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's not just taking care of our home. It's taking care of our collective home, which is the earth itself. And I think what we have to face, you know, you have to, you say we have to tap into it. I think there's something about we have to face within ourselves the cowardice. Yeah. Face within ourselves the need for approval. What What is it that's keeping us from expressing that which is natural to us? Such a good question. And the fierceness that is required. I mean, I feel the fierceness in you and watch how you how you have been managing this campaign and managing how you speak about things and um, realizing that that's, that is also love, right? Like we've, we've talked about love as all soft and nurturing and supportive, but like love is really what is being called for right now is that fierce love, like that, that willingness to, to fight from, from the space of love. Moral outrage is not born of anger. It's born of love. Mm. And as far as the fight thing is concerned, you know, I've been dealing with that one a lot because when, you know, in my career, my spiritual as a writer, as a teacher and so forth, I never felt that being a woman in any way limited me. I never felt any, any kind of anything about being a woman that was a diminishment or a block in politics. I can't even believe it. Yeah how a story will be framed and often by women, by the way, mm-hmm. a story will be framed to deride, to mock, to insult yeah. in ways that would never, if it were a man. Right. Okay. And it's all intended to get you to go away or the erasure or the invisibilization um, mention articles talking about Biden, not even mentioning me as an opponent. Not, not even, I mean, just the ways that the system has of telling the inconvenient woman to go away. Yeah. And it gets to a point where definitely the easier thing to do would be to go away. Go away. Okay. So then something in me would come up and say, no, stay and fight this. And then I had to go, but I don't even want to think in terms of a fight. I just want to think in terms of being the presence of the alternative, but they don't want the presence of the alternative. So they're going to try to push that woman away. Now, the other day I was thinking about this and the movie Avatar, right? Mm -hmm. The Navi were the most spiritual people. But at a certain point they had to fight. Right. So I'm thinking about that a lot right now because to really show up right now, given the the resistance of the system, I mean, nothing is more of a trigger to the patriarchy than a confident woman. Oh, amen. <laughs> scared, scared of it, don't you think? Don't you think that there's so much, there's like an unspoken, unknown fear, which is why people push back against you so much. You're scary, Mary. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, the courts would say there are only two emotions, love and fear. The, the problem is what they fear is their right to be afraid of. 
the the declaration, the convicted declaration of humanitarian principles and democratic principles, the voice that says, on these I stand, do uh, dismantle the forces of oppression and tyranny. So those who, for their own ideological and financial purposes, um, depend on those forces of economic tyranny, are afraid that if people listen to those humanitarian democratic voices, that they're, you know, they will be knocked off their their thrones. Well, they will be. Yeah, right. They will be. They will not, you know, be harmed. It'll be for the betterment of everyone. But yeah, certain uh, corporate forces would be no longer allowed to make money hurting the safety of a child. Right. You know, when the world writes itself, the, the chemical company will not be able to put chemicals and pesticides that we know harm a child's brain. Big food companies will not be able to put carcinogens in food that they know increase shelf life, but which they also know are carcinogenic. They wouldn't be allowed to do that in any other uh, advanced democracy, and they shouldn't be allowed to in ours. So there is a fear there. There's a fear that, oh, my God, if we listen to that woman, don't let her have a viral moment. Don't let her go on CNN right. or right. MSNBC. You know, people that could start a political wildfire. If people were reminded that this this country should belong to us in the sense that public yeah. policy should support the safety, health and well-being of the American people. This is this is a struggle that has been with us from the beginning, but it's time to stand up if you're not there's no such thing as neutral in this moment if you're not part of the effort to stand for humanitarian values and democratic values then you are acquiescing and on a certain level complicit with forces that would really shut this whole thing down and women whenever those things are shut down women do not do well you were just talking about what's happening in tech what happened in texas I mean, do if you look at that situation in Texas right now, it really is like the handmaid's tale. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It really is. Well, yeah. don't think that they're don't think that they're gonna stop. You have in South Carolina, the Republicans have a supermajority. I can't remember twenty-one or twenty-three of their lawmakers wanted to sign a bill that would make a woman who had had an abortion that would have her executed. Mm. And five women in South Carolina, two Republicans, two Democrats, and two independents push that back. There's also a bill in Missouri that where they want to uh, charge a woman who had an abortion with homicide. Mm. So con- whenever you have um, an oppressive system, controlling women yeah. is part of it. Yeah. Now, if women are in our natural wild. But when I think of wild, I think of the wilderness, like yeah. I think of the Beartooth Mountains. It's a beautiful thing. It's not a just it's not a chaotic wild. It's a beautiful wild. And if we don't reclaim it, you know, I keep going back to when you said tap into it. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's allow it. It's already there, it's right? There. It's already there. Uncover it in a way. Yeah. I feel like we it's that resilience that's cover it over with the nice like knife. The, yeah, mm-hmm. the foundation of our country, it's there. But we've been so covered over with toxic sludge, really, mm-hmm. on every level that we have to release that to even get yeah. to the sense of our country. Yeah. Like a subtraction versus an addition in a way. How do we subtract away the toxicity? 
Well, and our systems become amoral. You talk about kind of this amoral process leads to amoral results. And we've allowed money and politics and the, the, the way Capital, that, capitalism and yeah, it's, but you know, if women, know. if women spoke up right now, this would change. Yeah, I agree. And you have, you have a woman running for president right now. You have a woman running for president saying those things. So if you're not supporting that and that's what you believe, here's your microcosm. And I have to ask you, Marion, I am absolutely dumbfounded and confused as to women who wouldn't support a woman running for president. Like it just, it blows my, like I, I'm, I just am confused by it. What, you know, what is, again, is there fear? Is there fear of, if Marianne can step into that much uh, power and capacity, then does that mean we have to do it, right? Like, I, I'm just dumbfounded as to- Well, some people just don't agree with my politics. I respect that. I mean, you know, look at Nikki Haley and look at me. We're both women right. running. We have very, very different politics. So I certainly respect it where people just say, I just don't agree with her politics. But for people who do and then fall for lines like she's a long shot, she can't win- um, these ridiculous, the fairy dust that people put in front of people's eyes, or even more, she's made fun of. She's considered kooky. So if I support her, I'll be called mm -hmm. kooky. Again, that fear of judgment. Yeah. That uh -huh. gets in the way of us following the the moral compass that's really in all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know, the feminism that I grew up around, like the 1970s, right? It was understood that none of us were getting there unless all of us got there. So feminism was inextricably bound up with this idea of sisterhood. Mm. And so much of what we think of women's empowerment today leaves out sisterhood. It does. Leaves out, you know, if, if you see a sister trying to make it happen... And you you're not saying, how can I help you? That, well, that, it's been co-opted by the yeah, people. That, that, that's, that, that's, There's not enough for all of us. So right. We have to compete. So yeah. we have to be against each other. Yeah. We have to backstab each other. We have to talk yeah. negative about each other versus build each other up. You know, when Hitler was on the march, there were people, and there's one country I'm thinking of, but I won't even name it, where they started doing his bidding even before he got there. So I see women doing these misogynistic things. It's almost like before they're even told to, something's internalized. And it feels like it comes from a deep fear of I'll be left behind or I won't be safe. I won't be loved. I won't be loved. I won't be loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You well, know, it's always fear, you know, it's always a fear of, you know, the course would say there are only two emotions, love and fear, but love is to fear what light is to darkness. So it's not about figuring out our fear so much as it's knowing about what is the love that would replace the fear showing up for one another. Yeah. Especially women, because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard out there. That's particularly running for president. Like I said, Nikki Haley's running too. She's a woman. And I'm not saying even I would always vote for a candidate just because she's a woman. I remember with Hillary Clinton, I was a Bernie person. Mm. So my politics were definitely more Bernie than, than Hillary. I mean, I voted for her in the general, but in the primary, I was a Bernie person. 
But some of that animus towards her, I was like, why? Why can't we just disagree with her? And I, you know, I tell you in this campaign, there is some irrational animus against me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even, there's an irrational animus. Just I see the way people talk about me or talk about my books who've never read my books. Of course. Talk about my work. She's a self-help author with just this derision. And, and I, it's mystifying, but it's some ancient mm-hmm. trope of misogyny, let me tell you. Because it's from people who I think, if they had lunch with me, I, I don't think that people who know me, I think people who come to my work, right? Listen, I might not be a cup of tea. They might leave the talk going, yeah, but nobody leaves thinking I'm a terrible person. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Or that you're not articulate or have a clear view or have, I mean, your, your website <clears throat> and what you've laid out in terms of your policy is, I feel like you can't poke holes in it. I mean, it is so. But they don't even look. They right. say, oh, she has no real, she has no real policies. Meanwhile, oh, they don't even, there's this term contempt prior to investigation. Oh, she has no real policies. Just something about love. Really? And then what I need is for women to get on that thread mm-hmm. and say, clearly you have not looked at her issues. And then with, you know, the issues, I mean, you got to stand up. For, we've got to stand up for each other. Agreed. Well, and educate There's, ourselves, right? Not let others tell us what to think. We've got to take responsibility to educate or ourselves. Or just stay out of it. Right. Staying out of it. It's not an option anymore. I mean, if we if we're gonna save democracy and we're gonna yeah, it's we cannot look at this as a as a time to sit out on history. Yeah. And feel good about yourself. No. Yeah. No. What is what is one of the give us maybe a highlight or a uh, on the positive side, what are you finding in talking with people and you know, being uh, having interactions with people around the country, what what threads do you see? What do you see deeply that people are desiring? And and I know you're talking uh, young people. Yeah, it's, man. You know, I felt this last time, and I it it's so moving to me. The American people are not the problem. I'm not saying we're better than anyone else because we're not, but we're as decent as anyone else. And you know, there's a there's a concept that people hear you on the level that you speak to them from. And when you speak about noble things, people hear you from a noble place. When you speak from a from a very deeply intelligent place, people hear you from a deeply intelligent place. So in politics, they talk to people like they're in the sixth grade. And so when it comes to our personal conversations, we're, we get real, we get smart. When it comes to our political, we've been trained to think like sixth graders. We farm out our critical thinking. This is not a time in history to farm out our critical thinking. Yeah, right. So what I'm finding is that people are happy to have a deeper conversation. I was at a, you know, I always do a Q&A sec- section, which politicians don't normally do, but I'm coming from a world where we do that, right? And I notice people don't want to leave. Hmm. people are hungry for we're getting together as a group and talking about real things. And you know, I'm, I, re- I read an article years ago about myself, about other, you know, the spiritual stuff. And it was saying, Marianne Williamson isn't saying anything. Everybody isn't saying she's just saying it when the mic is on. And I think the same is true. Now I'm not saying anything. Every, everybody's not talking about, 
But what we're all talking about to each other, like, doesn't it seem to you ridiculous that we can't, that I should have to pay $6,000 for that operation? You know, I have a cousin in Italy and she gets it for free. We're all saying that to one another. We're all saying, why are these, why are these, did you know that this was this or this was in this food? Um, that's ridiculous. Did you know they allowed this? Or whatever. We're, we're saying it to one another. But there's no context for saying it collectively because any candidate who brings up, they want out. Well, you need to figure that out, friends. Mm, yeah, you're exactly right. So, Marion, you, on an interview I listened to, um, I'm going to say when you become president and you enter into the White House, um, I like to have that vision and hold that vision. Um, you said something so great and it stuck with me. You're like, I'm going to open the doors to all of these like deep, beautiful thinkers who are going to come in and we're going to like together put our heads together and make some like big changes. And even as I say it, I feel the chills. It's like that vision of you opening the doors and saying, okay, you really wise thinkers, like let's get beyond the politics and let's come in and let's come up with some solutions. Will you um, expand that vision for all of us yeah. a little bit more? So what's happening in America today, uh, we have really matured as a, as a culture in many ways. You wouldn't know it, but we have. You could take any area, healing, food, energy, um, imprisonment, children, education, and there are people who are already practicing and demonstrating an alternative way. In every area, there are the people who would know what to do to heal the problems. Okay, The problem is the problem solvers are over here and the people with power over here. The people with, with who know how to solve the problems are trying to raise $50,000 at a, at a nonprofit fundraiser. The people with power are giving $50 billion in subsidies to the pro people who are causing the problems. Yep. So the people with, who is, with solutions don't have the power. The people with power often don't really want to hear about the real solutions because they don't produce short-term profits for their donors. So what you were talking about with my saying, a visual image of my presidency, yes. open the doors, open the windows and say to all those people out there who are already practicing best practices, come on, everybody. We have it for four years. Do it. Let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has been figuring out. I, I'm the it. orchestra conductor. Yeah. I'm the orchestra conductor. I, I'm not. Um, I remember Oprah once said something to me, which when she said it, I was fascinated by it. Because she said it so matter-of-factly. She said, I'm not the one who comes up with the ideas. I'm the one who knows how to turn it into gold. Mm. I don't know if she said gold, but you know. So mm -hmm. I'm not the one who does the in-the-weeds in, in work. I'm the one who listens carefully to people doing it in the weeds. And then I know how, because I'm a popularizer. That's what I did with The Course in Miracles. I can go back to people and say, look, I've talked to all the people doing the deep work, and this is the deal. And you and can articulate go, oh, it in a way. Right. You can articulate right. It's like it when we were talking about American history. Yeah, I'm not a historian, but I've read the historians. Right. We all have our own piece of the assembly line. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and then it's about like I'm not someone who is an educational expert, but I know what the goal should be. So I, I've listened to them, and I know how to bring them in. 
And that's leadership. To me, that's no, thank you. That's leadership. Leadership is not top down. Leadership is holding the space yeah. for the brilliance of others. And we have brilliance in this country. And yes. that's really goes back to what I was saying. The problem, the problem is not the American people. You know, Bill Clinton used to say there's nothing wrong with America that can't be made right about what's right with America. Well, he's right, but what's right with America is disempowered rather than empowered here. I think those college loans are a perfect example. This predatory activity here, young people should be set up to, we should be supporting our young people to go out there, fly as high as you can, spread your wings, soar, be creative, be productive, have a blast. I don't want you to have to think about healthcare. I don't want you to have to think about your college loans. Go be everything to be a great lover, a great friend, a great spouse, a great parent, a great citizen. That's called a great America. But instead we thwart people. We cut people off at the knees. Can you? I, I, I think the idea of people in their 20s carrying tens of thousands of dollars of college loan debts for no other reason than so that banks, lenders, and government can form this unholy economic alliance, it's, it's horrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um, why those debts should be canceled. Absolutely. We have kids that age. I have a kid and senior, and we're looking at all those documents that we have to fill out to figure out. And you're going to saddle them if, if, you know, they're often it limits choices too, for these kids who have dreams because we should be saying, we should be helping. And, and, you know, it's funny because I went and spoke at Cambridge university in England um, a few months ago. And there was a dinner that the, that the young people held for me before my talk. Now, I've spoken at elite universities here in the United States, and even at the elite universities, there's a people are way down. Mm. Even our young people are not hopeful. And when I was in England, they, these kids have hope. Wow. They have hope. Wow. There's a hopelessness in the air in this country today. There's people are way down, people are beaten down, people are numb. That's not what this country is supposed to be. No, I've had conversations with my daughter who's 24 and she said, you know, what we talk about is, will we ever be able to afford a home? Exactly. Well, should I have children? I mean, those are the conversations they're having. Two things about what you just said. First of all, because you're naming there the essence of my campaign. First of all, in the 1970s, the average American worker could afford a house. In the average, in the, in the 1970s, the average American worker could afford a car could afford a yearly vacation, could afford for one parent to stay home with the kids that they wanted, and they could afford to send their kids to college. Today, you have these kids thinking, I don't know how I'll ever be able to afford a house. That's number one. Number two, everywhere I go, every audience I speak to, I ask people, I say, I'm going to ask a question. If the answer is yes, I'd like you to raise your hand. And if your hand is raised, please keep it up, because then I want everybody in the room to be able to look around. And the question is this, if you are a young person or if you have ever heard a young person say the following words, please raise your hand. And those words are, under normal circumstances, I would be thinking about having children. But given the state of the planet, I don't think it's a responsible thing to do. Every state I go to, then people raise their hands and and then I say, please look around. And people are shocked because they thought, oh, I thought it was only me. Mm-mm. And it's never anymore less than a third of the, of the room. 
sometimes recently I've seen more than half of people in the room and I always have the same comment afterwards. This is not normal. Yeah. It's not okay. We have to fundamentally, but that's, that's the essence of wild. It's not okay. It's not natural. No, that's, not that's natural. wild today. It's not, isn't that what the goddess ultimately, yes. it's, not it's not okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so at this point, Everything that we're talking about is not going to change unless we change it. So this idea of making these incremental changes. So you've got this one major political party. We're like a ship headed for the iceberg. One major political party is zooming right there. The other major political party under its corporatist leadership is moving there more slowly and it would hit it at a different angle. We as women need to say, oh, no, we're turning around right now. My children will not be anywhere near, anywhere near that iceberg. Mm. That's fierce. That's fierce. And to me, that's fierce love. And it's love. I agree. And it's, it's love. Wild. It is love. I'm going to get those kids out of the vicinity of the iceberg. My kids are not going to grow up into that. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that. You can't help but remember back in your 20s what you were worried about, what you thought was important. And it is different. It is it is not as heavy. And, and we were, we were aspirational. We had dreams and I feel yeah. like we are, we have to remember oh, that. Kids are just, yeah. even in the most, you know, elite universities of kids yeah. are just, and I, you know, I can't even imagine, honestly, being in my twenties with tens of thousands of dollars of college loan debt. I don't, I certainly wouldn't be the woman I am today. What this, you know, debt is, is crippling. It's heavy. Yeah. It's heavy. It cripples heavy. you. And, you know, not all chains are visible. And then not to only add in the college debt, but the healthcare debt that comes right. affording a healthcare plan and how people choose jobs or situations that maybe aren't in their highest mm -hmm. interest just simply to get the healthcare. And so then we're mm -hmm. listening ourselves so mm -hmm. that we can actually have healthcare coverage instead of being in our fullest potential and doing what we're meant to do. And so that's another piece of this. Yeah. And it's such oh. a weird psychological thing. Public policy should help people. Public, we act public. like, ooh, that's socialism. No, it's your tax dollars. Right. So when we talk about well, the money, it is your money. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't your money be used to support you and your children and your safety and your health and your well-being? Yeah. That all public policy should help people thrive. Yeah. And instead, it is over and over again used to help those who already have so much get more. Yeah. Harder for everyone else to even survive. Over the last 45 years, we've had a $50 trillion transfer of wealth into the hands of 1% of Americans, away from 90% of Americans. That's, you can't, you know, I read a book once where it said that's like taking all the blood in the body and putting it into one arm. Mm. You would die if all your blood went into one arm. Yeah. I mean, every organ has to be able to thrive. Yeah. 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 And that is the essence too, I think, of your campaign is we need to want everyone to thrive in this country. That's that right. To be That's, and that goes back to all men are created equal. Um, yeah. God gave all men inalienable rights of life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. That's it. Yep. And government's job is to secure those rights, not diminish those rights, not chip away at those rights. 
Right. And your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> These <laughs> principles are the principles on which we all have agreed to agree. That's mm. that's American. And you don't have to, you know, your opinion might be different, but in America, though, that's the way we're going to govern our laws. This is- oh, okay. My last question for you. We, we, this idea of um, being in the center of our resilience and then um, letting our imagination expand to the possibility I mean, speak to us about the hope and the belief about what this great country could move into and become and how um, all of us and you in particular (laughs) um, can be a part of it. I have a granddaughter. She's seven and a half months old. Congratulations. The last time we saw you, you you weren't a grandma yet. You're waiting. And she's a happy little girl. And she's got two parents who love her so much. Mm. And she's just, there's just so much love and happiness. When I think of the world as I would wish to see it, every child would be that safe and happy. Mm. Uh, You know, that that's, you know, sometimes I even look at her body language. When she lies in her father's arms, you can see the body language of a little being for whom fear has not set in yet. Oh, she's safe. The idea of danger has not set in yet. She's never had a moment that was anything other than love, anything other than being cared for. And I just look at that and I gaze at that and I think, wow, that's got to be, can you imagine if that was the experience of every man, woman, and child? I had a dream many years ago. And in that dream, I walked in with someone into this big room and it was like a restaurant and the colors in the room were turquoise and emerald green and gold and white. And in the center of the room was this big fountain with all this water. And then around the room, it was like circular. There were these booths and the booths had the, there was something about the shape of swans at the end of the booths. And as we walked into the room, everybody in every booth turned around. I, and it wasn't the feeling that I was special. It was the feeling that a person had walked in. Mm. It was just, that was I. And I, and I knew this is heaven. Uh. Of course, the miracle says that heaven is merely the awareness of our oneness. Yeah. So you get to a point, we all get to the point, you know, when you're young, you think my generation is going to fix it. You get to the point of realizing, well, it's not going to be all be fixed by the time I die. But there is an old rabbinical saying, you are not expected to complete the task, but neither are you permitted to abandon it. Mm. If we all, and I think we're ready, you know, the Course in Miracles says, um, don't be concerned about your own readiness. Just be um, be certain. Be, don't be concerned about your own readiness. Just be consistently aware of mine, meaning God's, right? And the presence of fear is a sure sign you're trusting in your own strength. If we all just say, my favorite gospel song is a song called Use Me. Mm. If we just say, use me, 
you know, the, the, the joke the ego plays is when I'm perfect, I'll show up to serve the world. Right. If we just say, I want to serve the world in whatever I can right now. So the ultimate vision is a world in which we're all happy. The means to get there is that we all say, I'm willing. It's me. Yeah. It's me. And I think that is the most powerful message any of us can take in yeah. is use me. And thank you, Marianne, for thank you so open, much. beautiful example of resilience and stability and wisdom and for really walking your talk, like use me, look at what you're being used for. And um, wow, just fierce compassion that you show gratitude yeah. and blessings to you. And we want to let everybody know, please go to Marianne2024.com. You can find her absolutely beautifully well laid out policies, all the information about how to support her, get out there, follow your own <laughs> guidance and like get in, get in the circle here. Let's all, let's all do our part. Use, ask how you need to be used. Yes. And it, it's and not send a- support. If you believe in it, please support. Send we support. will, Mary. We hope we to will. see you in Iowa soon. Thank you. Please Thank come. you. So yes, you will you too. Have a home. You. We, we, yes. we fully Thank are you. you here. Yeah. Thank you. Well, please, everybody sign up on the, you know, Marianne2024.com. We'll let you know when I'm there. And I can't wait to go back, actually. Can't wait to see you. Thanks. Probably Mary. January. Thank you so much. Really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Thank you, Marianne. Bye. Hello, listeners. We want to let you know that we have so much gratitude that you join us in these conversations every week. We want to continue to uplift and connect with women-owned businesses and businesses that are supporting women. So if you are one of those or have a recommendation for someone that may want to sponsor an episode, please have them reach out at tendherwild.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. The safety of